The Truth News Network. When the fix is in, you know it. What you don't know is when the fix went in. A government built on corruption doesn't form out of thin air. It takes a long time to form, takes a long time to get here. And what you see is only 10% of it. Corruption is built on lies. And to see the depth, you need a lot of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to reveal that iceberg is Dan Newman. Tell you what, let's do this today. Instead of just throw a bunch of new truths out there, and there are plenty of them, why don't we look at the world in which we find ourselves today and identify some areas where the truth is not living? Maybe it's out there, but it's being covered up or grossly misrepresented or lied about. And I got to be honest with you, the easiest and probably the most important place to begin to do that is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, where all of our governing begins. I'm talking about, of course, the White House and this presidency uh, on the guise of President Joe Biden. As you may know, he gave a speech last night, 30-minute speech, and it was interesting to say the least, because it was full of nothing, no substance whatsoever. What are you talking about, Dan? Well, let's just be honest with you. He gave a speech, and what about the important things to your lives that are going on right now? Things like the economy, inflation, our U.S. government debt, gas prices, crime, Border problems, cartels, fentanyl, abortion, overdoses, all those things. Any leader of any nation that was plagued by those issues and the American people feel strongly those are the top issues. All of those things, everyone I mentioned, the economy, inflation, debt, gas, crime, border patrol, uh, border security, cartels, fentanyl, abortion, and overdoses. In a primetime speech... President Biden spoke about the economy, mentioned it one time. How many times did he mention inflation? Zero. Debt, zero. Gas, zero. Crime, zero. Border security, zero. Cartel, zero. Fentanyl, zero. Abortion, zero. Overdoses, zero. The leader of the free world, and he's governing or he's supposed to be governing, over all of these things and many, many others. But these are the most important things, according to the American people. And our president, he chose to speak about one of them or mention one of them one time. And in the context of how that was mentioned, he actually intimated that the U.S. economy is the strongest in the world. Hmm. What world is he living in? I'm sure there were millions of Americans that looked in that that was their first thought. Where in the heck is this guy if he thinks that the economy in the U.S. is the strongest in the world? You want to know what's going on in our government? Do you want to know what's really happening? When you just step back, get away from uh, being inside the picture, step out of the frame and take a couple of steps back and look in. What I'm going to do during the show today 
is I have done the deep dive. I have finally figured out what this president is all about. And I think it may shock some of you, but some of you, you'll nod your head when we get into that. When are we going to do that on the show today? We have some really important things you need to hear about. We have some really important things that you need to ponder about. So we're going to fill the show today very easily with those things. (laughs) And I mean, there are a plethora of important things. One thing that is being weaponized every day now, 24-7, by everybody on the left, I mean everybody, is the attack on Paul Pelosi in San Francisco that happened last Friday, 2 o'clock in the morning. New details are breaking about Pelosi's attack last week. We're learning new details about the attack that seriously injured House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul. Yeah, sources tell ABC News Capitol Police had cameras outside the Pelosi's home last week, but no one was watching them at the time of the assault. ABC's Justin Finch reports from Washington. New revelations days after attempted murder suspect David DePap allegedly smashed his way into House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home, searching for her, but instead finding her husband, Paul, and allegedly bashing him in the head with a hammer. Sources familiar with the matter telling ABC News U.S. Capitol Police had working cameras outside the Pelosi's home, but nobody was watching them at the time of the attack. Those sources adding Capitol Police later noticed local police lights on a camera, rewound the video, and spotted the break-in. The speaker was in D.C. during the assault, and apparently the cameras are not monitored 24-7 when she's out of town. ABC News also learning the speaker's home private security system designed to notify local and Capitol Police when triggered never sent an alert to Capitol Police. On Tuesday, 42-year-old David DePap made his first court appearance arraigned on state charges, including attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. DePap's public defender entering a not guilty plea and promising a vigorous defense. We're going to be looking into Mr. DePap, his mental state. San Francisco prosecutors claim DePap told first responders he was on a suicide mission with plans to target Speaker Pelosi and other lawmakers. This was not a random um, residential burglary. This is something that was specifically targeted. Amid concerns about political violence ahead of the midterm elections, the U.S. Capitol Police chief saying, we believe today's political climate calls for more resources to provide additional layers of physical security for members of Congress. DePap is back in court for a bail hearing Friday. Prosecutors are arguing against his release, calling DePap a threat to the community. Got to be honest with you. I'm almost certain that when this attack, if you call it an attack, and Paul Pelosi did get a fractured skull out of it, so I guess it would uh, technically be an attack. But nevertheless, it seems to me that it was something that the left could use, mainstream media, legacy media, could use to deflect in the last week and a half the attention of the American people away from the really critical issues in the run-up to the election. Diversion. Maybe that's another October surprise. I, I have no idea. But I think we're going to find out at some point down the road in the investigation 
of Paul Pelosi and his attack, there's more to it than we have seen so far. Isn't it amazing in this administration, in the Biden administration, from the very beginning, when something bad happens, there's always more to it than we know about in the first stories that are presented to us. We have to dig. We have to ask questions. And you don't get answers from this White House when you ask them. You don't get answers. In fact, it's always deflect, put people off. And then finally, someone else goes around and figures out what the facts are, and then the answers come from somewhere else. Then you have to circle back when Circle Back was in the White House at the podium, talking about Jen Psaki, then you have to circle back and confront now Corrine Jean-Pierre. We had Circle Back before, but confront them with the facts that are showing up about the thing that you asked them about in the first place. I mean, that's what's happening over and over and over again. That feeds in to the reason, the purpose for what I'm going to share with you later in the show, for all of this, all of this, our president giving a 30-minute speech just days before the midterm elections, and you would think the incumbent party leader, with everything that's going on bad in the world, you would think that he would concentrate in such a speech to encourage the American people about what his administration was already doing and what they were going to do to tackle the problems in the economy, tackle inflation, our government debt, gas prices, raising crime that goes up every day that it's at historical proportions, southern border uh, security, cartels that are just destroying our nation from within the borders of Mexico, fentanyl, abortion issues, and the overwhelming problem out there for people to accept the Roe v. Wade opinion that came out of the U.S. Supreme Court and, of course, drug overdoses. You would think a real leader would at least mention each of those things in a 30-minute speech. Only one mention briefly of any of those, and it was the economy and that 30-minute speech. So we have a president that ignores problems like we did when we were kids. It was like if you didn't talk about it, it wasn't there. There are adults today that have lived their lives adopting that mindset to keep away from having to deal with problems. It's literally, if you don't talk about it, if you don't think about it, if you don't communicate about it, it's like it's not there. I know people that build relationships, permanent relationships, and that is in the middle of it. If you don't talk about it, it's a problem. But if you don't talk about it, it's not a problem. How could that be? Because you don't talk about it. The problem always exists until whoever's involved, and unless they decide to talk about it, find some ways to get out of it, find some consensus to dig through it together if they're going to do that, Problems many times are not the worst problems in a situation. Sometimes not talking about it is far worse than just denying its its existence. Boy, America is changing, isn't it? I remember a time when there was something going on at my house. 
Oh my gosh, if it happened at 12 noon by 12.02, conversations were already having happening between those that were involved in our family. Nothing stayed uncovered, undiscussed, and unresolved ever. And many times, the resolution came and somebody's butt getting whipped. <laughs> Thankfully, most of the time, it wasn't my butt. But nevertheless, we used to talk about everything. We don't talk about anything now. We really don't. And it's worked its way upstream. It began in American life at the local level, and it just began to spread. It spreads across the counties, the parishes, the states, into different parts of our country, and it made its way into Washington, D.C., and somebody up there said, hey, guess what? You remember that thing that the way my mom and dad handled stuff when we were back in, we were in grade school. You remember that? If we didn't talk about it, it was like it wasn't there. Why don't we adopt that in Washington, D.C.? Let those problems that we don't want to admit, or if we admit they're there, we don't want to find ways to resolve them. We just let them lay out there and linger. And we're not going to talk about it. It's like they're not there. But they're still there. If somebody turns a faucet of problems on and then walks away and nobody wants to talk about that faucet that's still on, and all those problems are running out of the faucet and spreading across whatever, the land, the town, the city, the state, it's like they're not there. Somebody needs to turn the faucet off. That isn't happening in Washington, D.C. Again, Joe Biden, a 30-minute speech, mentioned our economy one time. Not one time did he talk about inflation, our government debt, gas prices, Rampant crime, border security, cartels, fentanyl, abortion, or overdoses. In other words, if he doesn't talk about it, it's like it's not there. So let me ask you this. Looking ahead, looking ahead, I've got a lot of other things I want to talk about, but I want to make sure these we concentrate on before we run out of time today. And I promise you, we have so much that's important that we need to talk about we're going to run out of time today. Jim Jordan, congressman from Ohio. I really, really like Jim Jordan. He's very communicative. You know what I mean? He talks about anything and everything, and he's usually very good at getting right to the point. Everybody is looking ahead now. We've got just five days till we have midterm elections. Now, let me, let me just tell you this, the way the timing works. If, for instance, Republicans in the election coming up on Tuesday, if they win control of the House of Representatives, they don't get control immediately. It will be January before that formally happens. But between Tuesday and January 1, you can bet there's a lot of stuff that is going to be discussed and begin to be implemented in the run-up to them taking over. Congressman Mike Johnson was with us last week, and we talked about that briefly. Actually, he's going to come on either Friday or Monday to give us his final thoughts as we go into the Tuesday election. 
But when he was with us before, he gave a vivid, vivid look at the plans that are already mapped out for the GOP to begin undoing some things that were initiated by Joe Biden and his administration and some new things. But one thing Jim Jordan is talking about is what the structure in the House is going to be regarding looking into all of these horrors that we're living through and the sources. Here's what Jordan had to say. So if Republicans do win the majority in the House, that would mean that Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan would be set to take over the Judiciary Committee that would give him power to launch investigations and even a possible impeachment of President Biden. Congressman Jordan, now the ranking member on the Judiciary Committee, joins me now. Congressman Jordan, always good to have you with us. Thanks for being here today. Um, so what would be your, you know, obviously uh, that is, that's a big deal. Uh, and all of these investigations um, would take a lot of your time. So what, what would your priority be? What would you address first? And what do you think is most important? But yeah, by far the most important is the Justice Department that's now political. You cannot have a political Justice Department and also have a free society, a free country. So that is the most important thing. And we're going we're gonna to dig into this. Martha, we have had, and I've said this many times, we've had now over 14 FBI agents come to us uh, asking for whistleblower status, talking about how political that place is. That has to change. Because if, if you have a political Justice Department, if you don't have equal treatment under the law, Every single liberty we enjoy as Americans is in jeopardy. You think about the five fundamental rights we have under the First Amendment, your right to practice your faith, your right to assemble, right to petition, freedom of the press, freedom of speech. They're all in jeopardy if the Justice Department doesn't treat people equally under the law. And right now that is not happening equally under the law. And right now. As evidenced by the fact 14 FBI agents have come to us seeking yeah. a whistleblower status and talking about how political things are there. Yeah, I mean, it, clearly they were upset about the way the Hunter Biden case was handled. You think about the fact that um, parents at school board meetings were labeled as potential terrorists. You think about what happened to some of the rioters after the Black Lives Matter or even people who have been um, vandalizing um, pro-life centers. Yeah. It, it is it is very curious why some of these are pursued and some are not. You know, a lot of people out there well, would like to know, though, what your what your plans are with regard to Hunter Biden and do. And what about this question of of impeaching President Joe Biden. Here's what the former President Obama had to well, say about that on the campaign trail. I'm going to let you get right in after this. Let's play it. Okay. If they get control of Congress, they will spend the next two years investigating President Biden and their political opponents. That's all they want to do. They see it as payback. They've already got prepared that they're going to impeach uh, Biden. They're not sure what for. <laughs> but apparently that's beside the point. What do you say to that? Well, a question on impeachment, that'll be decided by the whole conference. Uh, you know, here's what I want to focus on. Two years ago this month, 51 former intel officials signed a letter that said the Hunter Biden story had, a quote, all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. That was BS. People knew it at the time it was BS, but they put that together. And that became the pretext for suppressing that story so that we, the people, couldn't have access to important information just days before the most important election we have, election for president of the United States. How did that get put together? How did those 50, that many of those people still have a security clearance? Were they talking to the FBI? 
Because remember, the FBI went and talked to Mark Zuckerberg and said, oh, Facebook, you might want to keep this off. This has all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. That impacted the election. And I thought my colleague, Matt Gates made a great point in committee a couple weeks ago. He said, when is the FBI not going to influence an election? 2016, they spied on President Trump's campaign. 2018, it was the Mueller investigation. 2020, they suppressed that Hunter Biden story, called it Russian disinformation. And in 2022, they raided the home of a former president 91 days before the midterm election. So why don't the FBI just stay out and quit being political and let the country decide, let the people decide who's going to represent them? So that is something we need to dig into for the, for the, for the sake of our country. We need to get an answer to how they put that together and suppress that key story. That's something I want to look into. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think that that's very fair. I think a lot of people would look at that and they do want to have confidence in the FBI and they have seen sort of the picking and choosing that uh, appears very partisan. And you have whistleblowers, as you say, from the FBI who say that they were told basically, you know, put that Hunter Biden case aside. We're too close to an election. We don't want to be involved in it. And as you point out, um, there's a good argument that they've been involved in pretty much every election in the past uh, six or eight years or so. Um, with regard to Hunter Biden, what would your intentions be? Well, that, that investigation will be run out of the Oversight Committee. I don't think it'll be headquartered in, you know, in, in the Judiciary Committee. I think my good friend and colleague, uh, Mr. Comer, will run that investigation if, in fact, the American people put us in the majority, which I think they're going to do. Uh, so it'll be there. I know Jamie is very concerned about these 150 suspicious activity reports that the Treasury Department has. We'd like to know what, the, what, the, what those say. So that's something I think we'll focus on as well relative to the Biden family, quote, business operation. All this is important, but the broad picture is Joe Biden has this narrative where he's called half the country fascist and extremist, and the FBI seems to be trying to make sure that that is the narrative that they get. This is what FBI, what these whistleblowers have told us. There's even a purging, some of these guys have said, they're trying to get rid of folks in the FBI who have conservative beliefs. So that is, that is part of this broad concern we have with the Justice Department, specifically the FBI. Uh, and we're going to investigate the specific matters and that broad general concern. Well, that's an appropriate role uh, of Congress to make sure that the judiciary and the FBI are treating everyone in this country fairly. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Jim Jordan, good to see you. We're headed to your home state tomorrow, and we are looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Glad you're, I'm glad you're coming. It's, right. a, it's a full-time gig to undo the egregious policies that have been implemented under this president. Think about it. We have 2 million illegals that came into the nation. Those are the ones that we know about. It's probably closer to 2.5 to 3 million. Where are all those illegals? Where are those 98 known members of certain operations, terrorist operations around the world? 98 of them we identified when they came across our southern border. Where are those 98? Where are all those people that jumped on those planes in Afghanistan that the Biden administration, Homeland Security Director Alejandro Mayorkas, assured Americans all of these people were vetted. We investigated, we vetted them before they got on those planes to come to the U.S. That's a lie. We found out after they got here, a huge portion of them hadn't been vetted. And many of those... When they got here, they were sent to various military bases, and many of those just disappeared. They walked off those military bases, and nobody knows where they are. This is the most inept presidential administration of my lifetime. 
And who's paying the price for it? You and I are. Let me give you an example. Joe Biden is up on Congress, uh, up on Capitol Hill. He is railing against the oil companies. He took aim at them on Monday, and he accused them of profiting from Russia's invasion of Ukraine while threatening to tax excess oil profits if companies do not bolster production in the United States. Now, what did he say when he was campaigning? What did he say on his first day in office? He was going to end fossil fuel production in the U.S. Now, I know our president has some cognitive disabilities, but you don't think he remembers him saying that? Of course, the reason for it is if the Green New Deal and all of those policies that come out of that, if they're to be implemented, you got to do away with fossil fuel. Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. This country cannot operate, cannot function without fossil fuel, period. Anybody that says that can happen is just plain lying to you. Prove me a liar. Give me factual information that supports the theory that we can stop using fossil fuel and transition to renewables. We can do it in part, but we cannot operate this nation without fossil fuel. And the issue is, it's not really an issue, I'm kind of glad that we have it, is that fossil fuel use is intrinsic in all of the operations of our lives, everyday lives. Do you know that there are over 25 hundred different products, byproducts, that we just take for granted in the United States that come from petroleum. Nobody wants to talk about that. You can't replace that with renewable energy, solar panels, wind, batteries. You can't do it. So he went after the oil companies, and he was speaking from the White House. He said he is a capitalist has no problem with corporations turning a fair profit or getting the return on their investment, but oil companies currently posting record profits are doing as a result of the war in Ukraine. Here's what he said. I'm going to quote the president. Oil companies' record profits today are not because they're doing something new or innovative, he said. Their profits are a windfall of war, the windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest of its executives and its shareholders. Then he went on to say that Oil companies have a responsibility to act in the interest of their consumers, their community, and their country, and should invest in America by increasing production and refining capacity. He then threatened a windfall tax on the industry if it did not move to lower costs for consumers. If they don't, they're going to pay a higher tax on their excess profits and face other restrictions, he said. My team will work with Congress 
to look at these options that are available to us and others. It's time for these companies to stop war profiteering, meet their responsibilities to this country, and give the American people a break, and still do very well. Well, let's break down what's been going on there. These evil oil companies, how dare them? What happened to these evil oil companies during the pandemic? Of course, our government, now he'll tell you real quick, he never locked down anybody. Dr. Fauci will tell you real quickly, he didn't lock down anybody during the pandemic. Well, they didn't click the lock, but they made it very clear in many cases If you get caught not locking down, you're going to face prosecution. We all locked down to some degree. They had us petrified. Looking back over our shoulders, we should have never locked down. The state of Florida, they barely locked down, and look what happened to to them. They had COVID-19 issues, but they worked with and through those and their kids went to school, businesses operated, and all of the good things that come from that, from the entire operation of just living in the United States, almost in total, happened in Florida. Elsewhere in the nation, everybody came to a standstill, and the horrible things that happened began to happen, and they were perpetuated at the behest of tyrants that were in and are in our government. You can read Kelly Nelson's story this morning on the front page of truthnewsnet.org, and it's about deep, deep details about who Anthony Fauci really is and what he really did. He's responsible for a lot of what happened, but put that to the side for a minute. During the pandemic, when the nation was frozen, Nobody moved around. So what does that mean? They didn't need gas. They didn't need diesel. They had no place to go, nothing to do, so why would they move around? So they didn't move around. And these big four oil companies that Joe Biden every day demonizes, they lost $76 billion. $76 billion. Now, Joe Biden... The way he talks all the time, he doesn't understand the structure of corporations. He thinks those evil executives up at the top, you know, the ones that make the big money, they're the ones that need to pay the American. They need to pay for their crimes. They're just blowing the nation apart by profiteering on war, his words. He didn't step up during the pandemic and offer to help these four major oil companies. He wrote checks to everybody else, but not these oil companies. So where did that $76 billion come from? Where did the loss go to? The money to operate these corporations comes from two places. People investing, buying stock in the companies, and the operations of the companies. So the people that invest in those companies They subsidize the $76 billion loss 
because as the company loses, its stockholders lose. Who are the stockholders of these big corporations? Yes, a very small percentage of ownership of these companies is by those corporate executives that Joe Biden hates until he goes to see them and asks them to write a big check to his campaign. But anyway, it makes good political sense. Let's demonize those evil CEOs. Most, by far, most of the investment in these major corporations are by banks, stock companies, insurance companies that get all this money collected from people that are putting money there for their retirement. And so when you got a share of, let's just say, um, what's a big petroleum company? Shell Oil, BP Petroleum. You've got a share in your investment. You bought a bunch of it through your investment. Your I, simple IRA, your 401k was bought. It. The share of stock was worth $25 when you bought it. Remember, they lost $76 billion during the pandemic. So that $25 share of stock, what's it worth today? Four, five, six dollars Who sustained that loss? Those stockholders that invested in those corporations. Joe doesn't talk about that. It's easy to stand up and scream and holler and blame people, play the blame game. He reiterated this week that his comments on Twitter on Monday stating that the oil industry has a choice and can either bring costs down at the pump for consumers while also boosting production and refining capacity or pay a higher tax on your excessive profits and face other restrictions. Joe, do you understand? If you did do a windfall profit tax thing on there, who's going to pay for that? It's not going to be these evil oil companies. It's going to be their stockholders, their shareholders, moms and dads that are taking money out of their weekly or monthly or bi-monthly paychecks to invest in a simple IRA or a 401k for investment. You're taking money from them. And oh, by the way, guess what happens? Those evil oil companies, they got to raise the price of oil that they sell at the pump because they can't go broke. Their cost of doing what you want them to do is really, really going up now because of your policies, by the way. They can't give gasoline and diesel away. They got to make enough money to get it out of the ground and to pay a little bit to those stockholders that have invested in the corporation. He said at the beginning of the speech, I'm a capitalist. But, now remember I told you at the top of the show, at the end of the show today, I'm going to pull all this together and I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. You've had questions. Why would the government be letting this stuff happen? Why would they do that? I'm going to give you the answer. And one of the things is the way this administration spends money regarding oil and oil exploration, refining, and selling oil products. Now, listen to this story. What is Joe Biden the best at doing? 
spending money, trillions of dollars, taxpayer dollars. Well, he's far from being done. The White House announced yesterday Biden is going to spend $13.5 billion total to directly cover rapidly increasing household utility bills and help homes become more energy efficient ahead of the winter months. Let me just say this. This winter is going to be horrible at uh, parts of the country that really get cold temperatures. It's going to be horrible. Energy costs are going to go through the roof. Electricity, heating oil, it's already through the roof. And to make matters worse, up north, heating oil is now being rationed. Why is that? Joe Biden. So what's he going to do? Spend more money, $13.5 billion. Health and Human Services is going to give $4.5 billion to local governments. What for? To help low-income people pay their electricity bills, which will increase further during the winter months, obviously, because of natural gas shortages. That's, That's coming off a White House fact sheet. The Energy Department is going to spend $9 billion more on tax credits for households that buy heat pumps and insulate their homes to make them more energy efficient. Now, let me just talk about that specific thing. They're going to give Americans $9 billion worth of tax credits if you buy heat pumps and insulate your homes to make them more energy efficient. That sounds like a grandiose idea. But how does that idea get implemented? First, you got to go buy some heat pumps and buy some more insulation for your house. And you have to do it the way the requirements of the energy department to get any kind of tax credit. You got to spend money to get a credit on your tax return. What about if you don't have profit this year that you already have lost money? Those tax credits mean nothing. But it sure sounds good politically, doesn't it? Roughly 17% of American households have recently not paid their electricity bill or they paid it late because of financial constraints. Why are we having financial constraints? Because we don't have the same money to go around to pay our bills that were doing really well for us when Donald Trump was president. The share of households that are struggling today to pay their utility bills went up 25% among households earning less than 50 grand this year. 25%. That doesn't seem like a big number if you make a couple of hundred grand a year. But what if you're on a fixed income? What if you're two people in a family and you're both on Social Security? And your Social Security, with that you bring in about $35,000, $40,000, $50,000 a year, and that's what you're living on. And all of a sudden, everything gets more expensive. And it costs that that $50,000 that you're making, you need $60,000 this year just to buy the same stuff that you had to have to live on a year ago, and you don't have it. Well, Joe's going to make it easy for you because he's going to spend $13.5 billion. He's not writing checks. Oh, no, no, no. 
They're going to give four and a half billion of it to governments to help low-income people pay their electricity bills. What happens when a government gets in the middle of government spending projects? By the time it gets to the people, it's been watered down and it's taken twice, three times, four times as long to put it in place. If this was going to work, Biden needed to do this six months ago. It will never work this winter. It'll take them to next summer to even implement the program. And then we told you about the tax credits. Gosh. Americans are going to pay roughly 10% more to heat your house this winter because of rising prices of natural gas. Now, that's not coming from Biden. It's coming from the Energy Information Administration. Natural gas is in short supply around the world because Russia's invasion of Ukraine has disrupted exports, which is raising prices for the 48% of Americans that use gas for heating. And oh, by the way, he canceled the XL pipeline, which was going to open up the ability to move natural gas through pipelines from Canada down into different ports of exploration and uh, deportation in the United States to put that out there so we don't have the natural gas that we were going to have and we're not drilling for more. Well, we need to get those oil companies out there drilling. They've got these leases that we put out there and they're not doing anything with it. No, a lease only is the very beginning. There are no guarantees on any of that land that they've leased that there's oil and gas. They've got to go explore, do geological surveys. Then they have to come back to the federal government for the environmental analysis, which always takes years to do. And even then, if they want to, they find a spot, they're pretty sure on this land that they lease from the government, there's oil and gas underneath it. They have to get drilling permits. And before they have to, they've already been through the initial environmental analysis of it. Then to get a drilling permit, they've got to go back through the environmental analysis of what's going to happen when they drill on that particular spot. You could have cut all of the red tape, Mr. President, and made this thing work. But you either didn't know what needed to be done and didn't have the people around you to advise you that knew what to do to get it done, or you knew and you just thumb your nose at the American people knowing that the cost of everything would go up, and you still did it. Whether you want to admit it, Mr. Biden, Mr. President, or not, whether you wanted to admit it, it's factual. All of this is on this administration. All of this is on Joe Biden. And you and I, even if he turned the spigot of his stupidity off today, there's no way we would get through this year and next year without paying these horrendous prices because of Joe Biden's politics. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. 
This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G Nationwide available in 1800 plus cities. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. I got to tell you, my mother who was one of the smartest people I've ever known, and she was not in business per se, but she understood business. She was very astute and watched and listened to everything. And uh, she was very political herself. In fact, my stepfather, Joe Huval, in uh, Lafayette, he was a business entrepreneur, uh, and he was very plugged in. The favorite picture of Dr., not Dr., Papa Joe, that's what everybody in Lafayette called him. You can you can go pretty much anywhere in Lafayette to this day, and especially when you get in a conversation about the bread business, because he had, it started from scratch, Evangeline made bread. It was the staple in South and Southwest Louisiana for many, many years. It's still a big seller in that part of the country. But anyway, ask anybody down there who Papa Joe was. They'll tell you, Joe Huval. Favorite picture of Papa Joe in my family is a picture of him with John F. Kennedy as president with his arm around Papa Joe. And uh, Kennedy was in Lafayette. They were close buddies. In fact, Papa Joe was the Louisiana campaign chairman for John F. Kennedy. Catholic Catholicism that drew them together. Anyway, Papa Joe had it figured out about business. And my mother learned enough of that to add it to her astute wisdom that she had developed through the years of being a mother. My mother would have never thought the United States of America would be in the condition it is today. She had more confidence, not in government, but in the people. And the first thing she would say, if I could call her up now, get her on the phone, 
I would say, Mom, what do you think about what's going on down here? And she'd shake her head and say, Danny, there is no way I could have ever predicted that we would have the people in government that are so inept and so committed to political partisanship that they would let that take over the way the government operates for the people of the United States. And then she would say this, and I can't imagine how the people would let the government do what they're doing today. That's exactly the way I feel. By the way, that's exactly the way many in America feel. So we haven't talked about much regarding campaigning, the actual campaign process in this midterm election run-up. But we all do know one thing. There are tens, no, not tens, hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent in local, in state, and federal elections campaigning all across this nation. Hundreds of millions of dollars. So who do you think is spending that money? There's a good percentage of American citizens that are contributing to their favorite candidate. But you know what? There's not a single candidate that's running that could afford to survive and campaign with just the money that those voters in their respective districts and states are giving to their campaigns. There's not enough money for them to go up against their opponents. So who's paying for all of this? Well, several billionaires and wealthy execs have invested heavily in the midterm elections, pushing tens of millions of bucks to both Republican and Democrat candidates and political action committees. The big uh, money donors, many of them have made their wealth in the technology and financial sectors. They have fueled a record-setting avalanche of donations to political campaigns. Overall, a whopping $9.3 billion billion with the B, is expected to be spent on these federal elections, not the state and local. That will shatter the previous inflation-adjusted record of $7.1 billion back in 2018. That's according to a conservative estimate from the site Open Secrets, which analyzes political expenditure data. Now, let me say this. Tomorrow's story... At the bottom of it, there's a link that will show you all those donations, where they've come from and how much to political campaigns. We're seeing much more money, more candidates, more political division than we did in 2018. That Sheila Krumholtz, that is the executive director of that entity, Open Secrets. Spending is surging across the board this midterm cycle, fueling a polarization vortex that shows no signs of slowing. These big money guys and and gals, and I'm going to use those very inappropriate titles, guys and gals, they've accounted for an estimated 43% of all the political contributions during this election cycle compared to the 20% raised from small dollar donors, the next largest category. 
political action committees have provided 8% of the money that has been raised. The largest contributor of this current cycle has been, drumroll, George Soros. We mention the name regularly. Who the heck is George Soros, some of you ask. He's a prolific billionaire liberal donor. He earned his fortune in the financial sector and chairs his investment firm, Soros Fund Management. He's funneled more, listen to this number, more than $128 million to exclusively Democrat candidates and left-wing organizations since this election cycle began. Just this election cycle. 128 millions. And he spent more than that. Most of the money, most of his money, most of that 128 plus came in one contribution. One. 125 million in one contribution. So where did it go? Well, it came in September of 2021 and it was paid to the Democracy Political Action Committee, which is a liberal super PAC that he created back in 2019. The super PAC has been linked to Democrat Party PACs and PACs associated with a variety of left-wing causes like racial justice and abortion. Somebody asked me, what's the difference between a PAC, that's a political action committee, and a super PAC? Well, it's real simple. When political action committees, PACs, were invented, it had to be done by legislation. That means the people that are getting the money to spend are the ones that make the rules of who can give it and how they can give it. Congress. Go figure. So when they made the PACs, they put in there some rules, and everybody that gives to a political action committee has to be named in the filings in the Federal Election Commission. So there are a lot of people that want to give money, but they don't want other people to know that they're giving it and to whom and how much. So that rocked along for a few years, and these these congressmen, they found out, you know what? We could get a whole lot more money donated to us if people and corporations didn't have to give their names. So they fixed the problem. What did they do? They created super PACs, da-da-da-da, and as a super PAC, they can donate out the wazoo, and nobody, nobody has to know who gave and who gave how much. Of course, somebody like George Soros, who's very rich and very political and is all in the tank for hardcore Democrat policies. He is a true socialist. He wants government to take over the United States of America and run it top to bottom. Forget about that evil capitalism. Government is the answer. So Federal Election Commission records show Zoros has also recently made maximum donations two Democrat candidates in swing state races like Senators Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, Democrat, Mark Kelly, a Democrat in Arizona, Cherry Beasley in North Carolina, and Mandela Barnes, who is running to unseat Republican Senator Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. 
Soros has also given millions of dollars directly to the Democrat National Committee and state Democrat parties. I'll tell you one thing he funded right here in my little town. 100,000 people, Shreveport, Louisiana. Two election cycles ago, he sent a couple of hundred thousand dollars to contribute to the campaign of a Democrat running for district attorney. Now, what would that be all about? George Soros getting involved in a local race in Shreveport, Louisiana, funding, in part, a campaign of a district attorney wannabe. Part of a concerted effort, remember, was going on, and still is very quietly going on, to fund lawmakers, law enforcement people, that are of the mind of go soft on crime and go soft on criminals. George Soros hates law enforcement. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Soros is not by himself. Reed Hoffman, who co-founded LinkedIn and is a partner at Greylock Partners, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, a billionaire investor, Sam Bankman-Fried, who founded cryptocurrency exchange FTX, Tom Steyer, the founder of hedge fund Farallon Capital Management and a 2020 Democrat candidate for president, Fred Eichner, the founder of media company NewsWeb Corp., and Stephen Mandel, the founder of hedge fund Lone Pine Capital, have infused all of them left-wing campaigns with buttloads full of cash. Steve Ballmer, the former Microsoft CEO, Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor and founder of Bloomberg, who ran for president in 2020 as a Democrat. They've donated more than $5 million each, exclusively to Democrats. Now, let's go across the aisle, the Republican side of the aisle. Billionaires Kenneth Griffin, the founder of the massive market maker firm Citadel Securities, and Richard Ulan the founder of the shipping and business supply company Uline, have each forked over tens of millions of dollars to conservative campaigns and organizations. Griffin has pumped about $58 million into Republican political causes during this political cycle, according to Federal Election Commission records. His largest contributions landed at the Congressional Leadership Fund, a super PAC. There you go. You don't have to tell anybody who all gave to that super PAC. That PAC aims to elect Republicans to the House of Representatives. He gave $25 million to this CLF, the Congressional Leadership Fund, since 2021. Griffin has also donated to GOP groups, the Senate Leadership Fund, Rick Scott Victory Fund, and the National Republican Senate Committee. He's given to individual Republican candidates, including Senator Ron Johnson, Senator Tim Scott, Herschel Walker, who is running for Senate in Georgia, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Uline and his wife, who he co-founded Uline with uh, in 1980, have pushed another $57.1 million to Republican candidates and PACs during the current cycle. In addition, Nike CEO Phil Knight, Peter Thiel of Thiel Capital, Jeff Yass, 
the managing director of Susquehanna International Group, Steve Wynn of Wynn Resorts and Valmore Management, Stephen Schwartzman, the CEO of the investment firm Blackstone Group, and Paul Singer, president of Elliott Investment Management, they all have contributed millions of dollars of their own cash to help elect Republican candidates nationwide. Can you believe it's this wide, it's this pervasive? Now let me ask you this. What percentage of all of these billions, and when you total it all up, it is in billions, what percentage of you of that do you think was given and donated and there was no quid pro quo involved? What percentage? Phil Knight, prime example. He hadn't been a big Republican donor in the past elections, but he gave a million bucks to Oregon Republican candidate Christine Drazen last month. The billionaire businessman previously supported independent candidate Betsy Johnson, but switched to Drazen since she's more likely to defeat Democrat candidate Tina Kotek, a far-left former state representative. How much of Phil Knight's money, this $1 million, do you think he gave just for writing a a check saying, hey, I like your policies, use this, make it work best for you, and we'll hope and pray that you win your election? How often do you think that happened when these hundreds of millions of dollars are donated? I don't think it happened one time. Now, there may not be any specifics that are expected in return. But I'll tell you, like Rush Limbaugh said, for many, many years, there were tons of people, really heavyweight people in government, that begged him to run for a political office. And he laughed at them. And even before he said this, I was asked to run for office in my my city. And I laughed at the people that came to my office and asked me to do it. And... I said this, look, if somebody gives me a dollar to do something and I'm trying to get it done, but I need their dollar to get it done, at some point in the future, they're going to want to get a favor from me. And maybe they didn't know they were going to ask me in the future to do a favor for them if they gave me that dollar. When they gave me that dollar and I took it, if they did ask me later for a favor, I've got to at least listen to them. And in politics, if I was in an office and they funded a campaign that I had to do to get in that office, they'd call me or at least leave me a message and say they want to talk to me. I'm going to be obligated to talk to them at least, if not to do the favor that they want me to do for them because they did me a favor. How many people out there do you think are like that? Politics and campaigning is evil. That's the only way around it. Now, if there's any comedy in what we're dealing with now in comedy, it comes from the White House. They had to delete a tweet from Joe Biden about the upcoming bump in Social Security checks. Why did they have to delete it? Because fact checkers obliterated that narrative. They deleted it yesterday 
and it bragged about an increase in those Social Security checks. The White House tweeted that, quote, seniors are getting the biggest increase in their Social Security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. You know what? That's the truth. Because the bump is tied to inflation. So inflation goes up in 2022. Well, we're going to pay those seniors, if it goes up 8% inflation, we're going to give them an 8% pay raise. Twitter added a fact check to the tweet, noting that while seniors will receive an increase in their Social Security benefits, it's because the annual cost of living adjustment, which is based on the inflation rate. CNN's fact checker Daniel Dell called the White House's claim quite the spin. The size of Social Security checks is linked by law to inflation. This year's increase is unusually large because the inflation rate is unusually large. Former President Richard Nixon signed a law into place back in 72 that granted automatic benefit adjustments based on the Consumer Price Index. Why would Joe Biden, anybody in his administration, not know that? You know what? Maybe they knew it, and they knew that he'd get out taking a victory lap because he was giving them a pay raise. (laughs) I, I don't know. But anyway, it's happening. And if you do the math, and there are economists that have already done it, the increase in Social Security checks will not be sufficient to cover the amount that seniors are going to have to pay for goods and services today compared to what they paid for them two years ago. So in other words, Joe Biden, yeah, he can take a victory lap for taking seniors backwards because even though he's giving them or the law is giving them a paycheck raise, that paycheck raise won't cover the cost of the increase that came from Joe Biden's policies. Joe Biden's been in Congress his whole life, 50 years. He should know stuff like this, or maybe he did know it at one time and then forgot about it. But wait a minute, Dan. Don't say that. He's got a long history, and you've been watching Joe Biden for a long, long time. Even though this stuff was happening while he was getting older, probably he didn't recognize it, or if he did, he forgot about it by now. This is the leader of the free world, folks, and he makes a fool out of himself every day, and when he does that, who else is in the fool category? the people, the Americans that elected him. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun, and you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. 
your tastes have grown up and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies, available wherever fine candies are sold. That song, that's Layla. Now, who did that song? Who did that song? It was a group called the Dominoes. So, um, let me ask you this: Who was the lead singer and guitarist in the group Dominoes? I bet you don't know. I'm not going to tell you now. I'll tell you before the end of the show. Well, let's talk about elections and elections threats the legitimacy of elections. Even last night in Joe Biden's speech, he blasted any American that rejects, summarily rejects the efficacy of the 2020 elections. Why do they keep harping on that? Why do they want to, they demand over and over and over again, you've got to accept the fact that that election was fair, there was no cheating. When court cases around the nation have found there was cheating. They won't accept that. They know there was cheating in the election. They know it. They don't want to talk about it and accept it. It's just like we talked about at the beginning of the show. If there's something bad happening out there in a relationship, in a home, in a business, in a nation, if there's something bad happening in politics, and you don't talk about it, it's like it's not there. So what did Joe do last night? He stoked doubt on the legitimacy of the 2022 midterms. But when did he do that? He did it several years ago. In a speech that he gave back, when he was running for president, he talked about the upcoming midterm elections in 2022, and he was afraid to say, or he refused to say, that he believed that the midterm elections, his midterm elections in 2022, would be fair. Why was he concerned about him being fair or not being fair? He was trying and promoting to get the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act get them passed, which would nationalize federal election laws. Republicans blocked it, by the way. And so basically he was saying, if you don't do what we want you to do and pass these laws, I don't think, I don't have any confidence in the efficacy of the 2022 midterm elections. Asked at a briefing whether the election could be fair if Congress didn't pass that legislation about voting laws. Biden said this, it all depends on whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of 
of the election. Biden added in that speech, no matter how hard Republicans make it for minorities to vote, people will still stand in line and defy the attempt to keep them from voting. (laughs) Look what's happening around the nation in early voting. Minority voters are voting en masse in record numbers. No voting problems, not heard about a single one, and you can bet your bippy if there was one, even one, anywhere in the nation in early voting. It would be trumpeted all over the nation, news cycles, in every every area. I'm talking about local, state, and federal. I'm talking about news medias. It'd be everywhere. And far more people are voting now with election cycles, election laws being uh, passed by state legislatures to make it easier to vote for people who want to do it legally. Harder to vote for cheaters. Biden later reiterated his concerns, telling reporters the midterms could easily be illegitimate. Oh, yeah. I think it could easily be illegitimate. Imagine, imagine if, in fact, Trump has succeeded in convincing to not count the votes, Biden said. Imagine of these attempts to say that the count was not legit. You have to recount it, and we're going to discard the following votes. I'm not saying it's going to be legit. The increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is a direct proportion to us not being able to get these reforms passed. And of course, the reforms he was talking about is let the federal government take over the election processes. Wanted to make that law. Hmm. Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, Biden was not casting doubt on the legitimacy of the midterm elections. (laughs) That's what he said. That's what he believed. That's what he believed. Biden is not the only one to cast doubt on him. Hillary Clinton recently claimed that the Republican Party has a plan to steal the 2024 presidential election. Oh, my gosh. What are we doing in the nation? What are we doing? All of this chaos, it just gets epic the closer we get to elections. I don't I didn't think it would ever get greater than it was in the run up to the 2020 elections. But I gotta be honest with you, when I look around the landscape and I see Barack Obama out campaigning, making fun of Republicans that Republicans have nothing to offer the American people when the plate is full and flowing over of things that they want to do, and they put it out there, Barack Obama laughs at Republicans in the nation when he talks about it. Joe Biden calls half the nation, every conservative, semi-fascist. I've never seen an environment that is this elevated, that is this crazy, I've never seen one like this. Yesterday, there was a Fox News town hall, and they booed and shouted at Democrat Ohio Senate candidate Tim Ryan 
after he claimed the Capitol rioters killed a police officer. Now, why would I bring this story up today? Here's the reason why. Tim Ryan's not a stupid person. He's a member of the U.S. House of Representatives representing a district in Ohio. He actually said that. The Capitol rioters killed a police officer. The only person killed that day was a private citizen, a woman from San Diego, a former U.S. veteran. And she was shot and killed by a Capitol cop She wasn't menacing anybody. She was unarmed. This cop shot her from behind. She was in the Capitol illegally, no question about it. But to be honest with you, somebody enters the U.S. Capitol not hurting anybody, not supposed to be there but not hurting anybody, doesn't have a gun, not threatening anybody. Is it worth taking her life? Did she do something that was a life sentence or the death sentence? The coroner in D.C. ruled it a homicide. Her death was a homicide. Nobody's even been investigated for killing her. But Tim Ryan, a member of the House of Representatives, gets up and he claims that a Capitol cop was shot that day by rioters. He raised this in discussing the January 6th Capitol riot during a discussion about the current political climate. He then claimed the rioters killed an officer, likely in reference to Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died of natural causes, medical examiner Francisco Diaz said in April of 2021. And he didn't die that day, by the way. He died the next day. The guys who stormed the Capitol on January 6th They are the leaders. They're the leaders. This is what I'm saying, Congressman Ryan said. They stormed the Capitol on January 6th. They beat up 140 police officers, killed one. They killed one. The audience went nuts. They booed him over his claim. One repeatedly yelled, you're a liar. You're a liar. We all watched the video. We all watched the video. Tim Ryan continued, I'm happy to have this conversation. I'm not afraid to have this conversation. These are the conversations we need to have in this country. I welcome you guys. Let's just be respectful. But if I'm not afraid to stand here and defend my position, you shouldn't be either. So Diaz confirmed to the Post that Sicknick died after suffering two strokes the day after the riot. An autopsy found no evidence that he suffered any internal or external injuries, and that disputed the initial reports that he succumbed to injuries caused by being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher or had an allergic reaction to the chemicals sprayed by the rioters. The left, they just could not let facts rule the day. They had to make up and build a scenario that pointed to Donald Trump actually telling all these rioters to go do what they did. And they lied about it. They misrepresented things that needed to be told factually. And they did it to get rid of Donald Trump. That's the only reason it was done. 
Four other officers that were at the riot, Jeffrey Smith, Kyle DeFreitag, Gunther Hashida, and Howard Libengood, died by committing suicide. That's all Republicans' faults. It's all Republicans' faults. <sighs> oh, my goodness. The mainstream media, they just do not report the truth. And I don't know why. I know they're all trying to make their ratings go through the roof. They can get more money for the networks, and then those people on air can get paid more money. It's all relative to money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Yesterday, Outnumbered got into that, talking about the media and the way they report stories and the stories they report. One would think that the party in power would receive the criticism if things aren't exactly going well, but it appears that has not been the case. A new Media Research Center study of ABC, CBS, and NBC's nightly newscasts reveal that Republicans are receiving much more negative coverage than Democrats ahead of Tuesday's vote, 87% to 67%. Here's just a small taste. If Republicans win control of one or both houses of Congress, they will do everything in their power to sabotage the economy. Political violence has always existed on all sides of the political spectrum, but today's political climate is making it much worse, and it is a uniquely right-wing problem right now. This is a contest between part of the country that believes in continued and expanded liberal democracy, uh, an effort to pursue a more perfect union, and a part of the country that is now attracted to the idea of fascism. Kaylee. So not only is the tenor negative, but the study has shown as well that the topics reflect differently than what we've been discussing Americans care about, right? With, with coverage far more outweighing on those networks, election deniers and threats to democracy versus inflation, crime, things that voters care about. It's both. Yeah, Media Research Center did this study. I'm so thankful for them because they are, are able to quantify the, the, uh, the what we know is a bias. So they quantify it. They do a great job. But what is interesting are the subtleties we don't catch. So like, for instance, Tudor Dixon, running in Michigan, great mm -hmm. candidate. You know, her opponent, Gretchen Whitmer, calls her the biggest threat to democracy. Not true. But what's interesting is the Associated Press, their subtle description of Tudor Dixon Dixon is the far-right commentator. That's how what is supposed to be a wire publication describes her. Um, you look at Stacey Abrams when she said the lie about there's no heartbeat before six weeks. What happened? Well, Twitter, when she trends, we know they curate those trends. This is pre-Elon. The description of why she's trending is doctors agree a heartbeat doesn't exist. Reports from NBC and NPR confirm. We know that science says otherwise. My point is these subtleties where there's this cabal of media, social media, that in locks step just lines up behind Stacey Abrams, Gretchen Whitmer, and every other Democrat. And it's subtle, but it's noticeable if you look for it. That's right. And Harris, going back to that sort of overlay. So four years ago, it was 88% negative coverage, not only of Republican candidates, but also then President Trump. Mm -hmm. Why is it that a different party is in power, and yet the negative coverage of the GOP is at 87%, nearly identical 
Why doesn't the mainstream media have any objectivity, or at least try to have some objectivity? Well, it may speak to the issue why the president and his team are not the only people who don't cover the issues that people care about. I mean, look how long it took some of these other networks to even start to cover where we are in inflation mm. and the crisis at the border. It wasn't until we saw 15,000 people under a bridge, the Haitians who'd come through, mm. before the administration started to really pay attention and then the complicit media started to pay attention. And what are they complicit? it in not giving the American public the whole truth like I, I expect that actually from members of the media I, I don't know if politicians necessarily feel beholden to do that but we should so you know to me at the end of the day when the question is asked who do you believe this is why people don't often pick us they don't pick us as journalists just across the board they lump us all together because they feel like they're not being told the truth and it's really detrimental really what, what jeopardizes democracy is when the people who are protected by the Constitution decide not to tell it. Mm, that's absolutely Across right. Across administrations, yeah. because it doesn't really matter who's in power, they cover and see things the same way. Right. Joe, and you wrote a book on this. I, I, I argue that the only thing mirroring uh, the fleeing of Democratic Party voters, as we just covered in the last block, would be those fleeing those networks. Precisely right. And Democrats now watch for instance, Fox News primetime more than they watch CNN primetime. You say, well, how can that be? You know, well, because maybe we're talking about things that matter to people. Right. Look, if you're teaching a class and you use bias before, I'm going to go a step further. It's activism, right? <laughs> the, the bias thing, we yeah. passed that exit, you know, some time ago. Good point. But it shows you what little influence the media has in 2022 here, okay? Let's break this down. Republicans are getting 87% negative coverage like we talked about. Mm -hmm. First 100 days of Trump, it was 93% from CNN, NBC News, all above 85% New York Times, Washington Post, mm. ABC, CBS, all right? First 100 days of Trump. You know, what was the number one overwhelming story? You know this. Russia. It was Russia collusion. This is two years before the Mueller report even came out. So that drives up those negativity numbers. So if all of this coverage has been so negative, then why aren't Democrats poised to take back the House, ah. keep control of that, and gain seats in the Senate? And the answer goes to influence once again. So then I go to this one survey that the Hill did in 2016, but it still applies now. We looked at 59 newspapers, all major newspapers, and their endorsements of the two candidates at the time. And 57 endorsements went to Hillary Clinton, and two went to Donald Trump. Hmm. And what that got Hillary Clinton was a concession speech and a set of steak knives. <laughs> in other words, no one cared that they were being told how to vote and why you should vote for this candidate because the messenger, to your point, simply is not trusted anymore, Harris. Yeah, they, they don't trust the voice. Mm -hmm. And so they just tune it right out. And, and that's partially what happens late in the campaign. We were talking about this during the commercial, even with the ads. Right. I mean, people just start to kind of tune it out. And that's why the debates are so important. That's right. You saw Carrie Lake earlier. Yeah. Katie Hobbs in Arizona still won't debate her. So if she loses. Talk about a threat to democracy. Right. Not debating in a public forum, being transparent to your American voters. That is your true threat to democracy. Yeah. And as well, not only just the debates, but, you know, throughout the last years, what about the press pushing back, asking actually thoughtful questions instead of what taco did you have for breakfast right. or what ice cream flavors or whatever it is that they ask? Right. That fourth estate, we deserve better from them. And I, I wonder also, doctor, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, is the White House following what Medically? MSNBC is putting on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's actually, talk about that. Um, or is it that these media outlets are following what is coming out of the White House? 
White House. I mean, again, tonight we're going to hear our president talk about threats to democracy, anything but what people urgently care about as reflected in the polls that we discuss yeah. every day, all day. So who's taking cues from whom? Well, I think it became very obvious during COVID who's taking cues from whom. And you look at a lot of mainstream media and they got their talking points straight from the White House. Whatever Dr. Fauci said, that's what they were espousing. There was no critical thinking going on. And now it has turned out much of it was untrue. But that didn't matter. They were not looking at the evidence. They were not looking at this, this science. Even their experts, they were just following what the White House was telling them to say. And the same is happening now, which is why you're not hearing about the things that mean most to the voters, because the White House also isn't talking about it. Yeah. Well, definitely there's no critical thinking in the White House, that's for sure. <laughs> but unlike what Hillary Clinton says about Americans, we know critical thinking does take place in everyone's brain otherwise. That's media. Keep in mind what you just heard. That's media talking about media. And of course, that's outnumbered. That's a midday show at Fox News. So Fox News normally isn't going to be critical about Fox News, right? It's always somebody else. But I got to be honest with you, there's pontification that happens at Fox News. Not nearly what we see in here at the likes of CNN, MSNBC, even the big broadcast three, ABC News, CBS News, NBC News. It's all there. We've just got to pick and choose. And it's hard to pick and choose and you can't just wade through everything that's out there every day. You don't have enough time in the day, even if you did it full time. There are entities out there that are structured, business entities that are structured to do just that. Monitor all the different news agencies and they collect which news agency is talking about what. What they're saying, how long they're concentrating on it, and what somebody else is saying about what they're saying. I mean, you could spend your entire life 24-7 worried about that. And you know what? Politicians take advantage of that. Politicians take advantage of that. They use that against the American people without the American people even understanding what's going on at the time. And by the way, they do get in fights themselves. It's really cool when you see news media fighting with news media on air. I love that. And I love it when news media get in a fight with somebody they're interviewing. They're supposed to be interviewing to give those people a forum in which they they talk about their positions on political issues. And sometimes, often, really a lot. They get in fights with those people. In fact, we've got an example of that. And we have an announcement to make right after this at TNN Live. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque. And experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold. 
the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Election cycles come and go. White House reporters come and go. The truth is a diamond because it's forever. TNN, the Truth News Network. Your jeweler today is Dan Newman. Let me give you an example of how our government is treating media. Did you see the documentary 2000 Mules? Let me just encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, you need to see it. And you can get it online. Just do a, a search online, 2000 Mules, and you can get it online. It's, um, it's the most amazing documentary having to do with elections that I've ever seen. And no question about it. They, in the documentary, they produced and gave to us hardcore evidence, facts, video evidence, video evidence of massive voter fraud in Atlanta, Georgia, and in Philadelphia. I'm not going to go into the details of it. You need to see it. I challenge you to see 2,000 mules over this weekend. It'll change your perspective on how bad and how much illegal activities are taking place around elections. A big piece of what was presented in 2000 Mules in the way of numbers came from a not-for-profit called True the Vote, T-R-U-E, True the Vote, and it was, it was brought to you by a company owned by a guy named Greg Phillips. And what they do and have been doing for years, they have massive computer capabilities in which they collect and analyze data from elections that happen all over the world. Countries, foreign countries, will hire this American company, the one that uh, Greg Phillips owns, and they will analyze election data in the tens of millions of voters and voting processes for these countries to be able to make sure the veracity of their votes that are being cast during their elections. And so he joined forces with Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote to produce all this documentation and to source it from actual facts. And they did that. In the aftermath of that, Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips were sued 
by Connick, K-O-N-N-E-C-H. And I'm not going to get into, it's a company, and I'm not going to tell you all the details about it. You'll see it in True the Vote. I'm sorry, in 2000 Mules. But they wanted, Connick wanted, True the Vote to produce who the person or persons were that gave up the data information about their operations that were covered in 2000 Mules. And of course, Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips, they're not going to turn on a journalist or people in news media or anybody else for that matter because Connick was going to go after them, so they refused to give up that source of that information. Both Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips are in jail today. They were sentenced and taken to jail last week over this. The weaponization of anti-democratic ideas, it's going higher and deeper than we've ever thought could happen. If big government doesn't like you, and even if it's not them doing it, but a company that is a government-type entity does it, they're all in for that. Freedom of speech, the ability to come forward with factual evidence about something bad, that's not acceptable anymore. It's not acceptable. So these two are in jail today for executing and making sure somebody gets the freedom of speech to go public when somebody in the public eye, a public entity, is doing something illegal. Just thought I'd throw that in there for you. Just a note about Congressman Mike Johnson. Remember I told you he promised he was going to come around and uh, get with us before the election. He was with us last week, early in the week, I think on Monday, and we talked about that, among other things, and he agreed that he would come back. And uh, there's a lot of things that have happened in the last two weeks regarding the upcoming elections. You know that. It changes every day, and it'll change between now and Monday morning. He's going to be with us at 10 o'clock, top of the second hour of the show live on Monday, Congressman Mike Johnson from the 4th Congressional District in Louisiana. That's the announcement that I wanted to make. What I really wanted to tell you about was uh, what Biden is doing out there this week. He's giving these speeches. And I know that everybody in the White House cringes every time he is giving a speech because he goes rogue every time. He doesn't believe in the teleprompter, or if he does, he'll, he'll do it somewhat. He'll use it somewhat. But he never sticks to it. Tuesday, in one of these speeches, he described himself as a lifelong expert on foreign policy. Now, he did that in the aftermath of his devised exit from Afghanistan and his failure to stop Russia from invading Ukraine. He could have handled both of those and made them happen the right way, but he screwed both of them up. But he's out there bragging about how great he is with his foreign policy expertise. He said this, if I have any genuine expertise, it's in foreign policy. 
and he was speaking to a campaign rally in Democrats in Florida. I've done it my whole life from the time I was a kid. A kid. Can you imagine any kid but Joe Biden as a kid doing anything in foreign policy? Where the heck did that statement come from? He's got a very long record on foreign policy, and he's been criticized throughout his political career for a multitude of boo-boos. I think he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. That came from former Defense Secretary Robert Gates, famously. He said that about Biden in 2014. Gates, by the way, is president of Texas A&M University. Biden famously supported and voted for the Iraq War before he opposed it. He advised former President Obama against the raid on Osama bin Laden, and he even argued back in 2011 that the Taliban per se is not our enemy. He also served as VP during Obama's military interventions in Serbia in 1999 and in Syria and Libya in 2011. In fact, the Syria and Libya stuff that happened, Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, was involved in that. They gave guns to the Syrian rebels to try to overthrow the Syrian government. We did, taxpayers. We gave weapons to these Syrian rebels, and you know who those Syrian rebels became? ISIS. Biden was for that. Now, since he's become president, he's badly mishandled foreign policy all kinds of stuff, including overseeing a disastrous summit with China, his failure to stop Vladimir Putin from invading Ukraine, and his dramatic failure in pulling out American troops and American individuals, private individuals that were working with our government, pulling them out, all of them out from Afghanistan last September, and dozens of those Americans are still hiding in Afghanistan and can't get out. Biden infuriated the French when he didn't disclose a nuclear submarine deal with Australia. He angered the Saudis despite traveling to Saudi Arabia and fist-bumping Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. A recent poll showed that only 41% of respondents support his foreign policy. 54% said no way. So during that speech in Florida, the president said, the rest of the world had their faith in American democracy tested after the protest of the 2020 presidential election on January 6th. The rest of the world is wondering who in the hell we are, what's going on, Biden said. For how long, Joe? For how long? Now, I told you I was going to, at the end of the show today, give you a synopsis of why all of this is happening. Why is Joe Biden spending so much money making inflation go through the roof, spreading that money around to who knows where and to who knows who it's going to? I mean, we just gave you a story. He's going he's gonna to spend $13 billion to help to underwrite the problems that his energy uh, policies have cost American people that aren't going to be able to pay their electric bills 
or the gas bills during the winter this year, all because of something he did. But he's now, he's going to give $13.5 billion to people, entities around the, the nation to help out the people that are stuck in the crack they're in because of what he did. $13.5 billion more of our taxpayer dollars are going to cover stuff for him. It's all for a specific purpose. Why would he let 2 million illegal immigrants into the nation? Why would any president do that? No other president has ever done that. Why does he thumb his nose at immigration law that he was part of passing, by the way, when he was in the U.S. Senate? Why does he thumb his nose at the rule of law, unconstitutionally refusing to honor his oath of office to protect and defend the nation and to support and enforce the U.S. Constitution as President of the United States, which, by the way, is the highest calling of any president, is to first protect the American people. People have died at the hands of illegals. In fact, over a two-year period, Texans alone, they were involved in six 100,000 criminal acts perpetrated on them by illegal aliens that have come in across the border. That was several years ago. 600,000, those included everything from breaking and entering to first-degree murder. Why does that happen? Why does it continue to happen? Why does Joe Biden continue to try to pacify world leaders without doing anything, but just trying to pacify them. Nobody, nobody around the nation, around the world trusts him. Nobody does. Nobody believes him. They can't believe that the people of the United States elected him. And to be quite honest with you, I don't think we did. Uh-oh, you're an election denier, damn. You're darn right I am. There's no question in my mind, based on evidence that has been shown and been adjudicated in courts in at least seven states that there was cheating, irregularity, massive voter fraud in the 2020 election. Let me tell you what's going on. Why? And I'm going to ask you one more question. Why does Joe Biden, in every speech he gives... Why does he scream and holler about people who oppose him, his policies, his administration? Why does he frame that as attacks on democracy over and over again? It's an attack on democracy. Mainstream media today, every day, when they talk about any of the problems that are happening, economically, crime, it's all based on an attack on democracy. Everything any conservative does, we semi-fascist, everything we say, everything we oppose, that's all attacks on democracy. Why is Joe Biden opening the floodgates and letting illegals come into the nation? Two million is just a drop in the bucket. Why is all of this happening? It's all about democracy, right? Here's a political lesson for all of us. 
The United States of America is not, has never been, was never structured to be a democracy. Our nation, our political, our government structure has never been democratic. Now, what do you mean, Dan? We have democracy here. To a degree, we do. But our forefathers knew that a pure democracy, a literal democracy, would never work. And listen to what I'm about to tell you. There is not on planet Earth an actual nation that has democracy, a democratic, a 100% democratic government. There's not one on earth. The closest, Switzerland. And they still are not a pure democracy. What is the difference between a democracy and what we live in, Dan? If we don't live in a democracy, I hear all the time, we're a democratic nation. We have democratic ideals. We have democrat policies in our government. But here's the difference. In a democracy, a pure democracy, Every citizen is required to vote about everything. Nothing can be done by the government, not a single thing, unless every citizen of the nation weighs in on every single thing. And because it's physically and fiscally impossible to do that, our forefathers knew we had a big nation and it was growing. When we had the 13 colonies, it was bigger than most countries in, in uh, Europe at the time. But they knew we had all this land, this geography out west. Didn't know what was there. Didn't know what was on the other side of the mountains. But they knew America was going to grow. And as the expanse increased, we needed to have a government that would represent in governing every American, which meant we couldn't do it by having one vote, one person on every issue. It would never be feasible. So what did they do? They created a representative republic. Instead of having everybody try to vote on every issue, we elected people, every state elected two, to represent the states. And then Congress was going to be a collection of representatives that were elected by people that lived in a specific part of those states. And they would go to D.C. and represent directly in government those people in that specific area. That was called the House of Representatives, and they represented people in these districts. And they were to serve two-year terms, and then they were supposed to go back to their towns, their cities, and somebody from that particular town or city would come up there and replace them. It would be the people's choice. Originally, senators, U.S. senators, were appointed by governors. And they went to D.C., served in Congress, and they represented the whole state's speaking to and working with the state's governors. And they served a six-year term because it was more involved and it took longer to get things done than it did 
for the members of the U.S. US House of Representatives. Biden wants that all to change. And there's a large group of people in the United States, and by the way, in the world, one of them being George Soros, one of them being one of them being the founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates. They want this country to be a purely democratic country. No representation necessary. Every citizen votes on every issue. So what's bad about that, Dan? Why would they want that? Well, it won't work. It can't work. It's unfeasible. That's why our forefathers never produced our country, never wanted it to be that way. They came from Northern Europe when they came over here. And the governments over there, there was no democracy. There was no one voice, one vote. There was no people represented, a representation over there. All of those countries were ruled by kings. And kings made every rule, made every law. The only plausible answer for why this government, the Biden administration, literally wants millions of illegals to come in here is they want to turn our government into a purely democratic government. And in that scenario, there's only two ways it could possibly operate, structure and operate. One would be as a pure democracy, which they know would never work. But they want it to be structured and attempt to make it happen so that they could use a group of people that would be like-minded, that would be vast in number, that they could control. And with that control, they could create what is literally referred to from time to time, talking about our government today. They would create mob rule where the majority absolutely controls everything in the country. The majority would be comprised of people, in large part these illegal immigrants that have been brought in here by Democrats in Congress. They're obligated to vote for whoever brought them in, and of course they would tell you, Democrats would tell all of these illegals, hey, we open the floodgates down there. We pulled down the southern border. We wanted you to have all the opportunities that you can find in the United States of America. You're obligated to us. So you need to vote for us whenever you cast a vote. Anything we put out there is going to be better for you. And we'll take care of you lock, stock, and barrel in exchange. Quid pro quo for your votes. So in that atmosphere and environment, what happens to the United States? We become a country of mob rule. There's no republic. There's no representation. The mob rules everything. 
And everything means everything, every part of your life. It's controlled by someone else. Oh, you have a voice in it. You have one vote. But the mob, which was put together in large part, in large part, they ended up getting the majority. The majority in the mob are going to vote every time for the people they're obligated to vote for. And the mob is going to control your life and my life. We really have no say-so. I'm sorry to tell you that's what's happening. I really would like for anybody with a differing opinion to let me know. Send me an email. If you want to come on the air live next week, I want you to. 318-470-2879 is my phone number. My personal phone number, 318-470-2879. My email, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Is this the end of the nation? Not if the people speak next Tuesday. Not if we protect our representative republic and we honor the fact that we are a nation of the people, by the people, and for the people. As long as we do that, folks, we're going to be fine. We'll be able to work through all of the issues that we know are surrounding us and devouring us, our families, our businesses, our social structure, we can get through that, but it's got to happen by getting through it together and protecting the rule of law, which this government, this administration, quite honestly, they don't give a rip about it. They want that mob rule power. Hey guys, have a great one. Mike Johnson will be with us Monday morning at 10 o'clock. He's going to talk to us about the elections the next day. We'll see you tomorrow right here. Come and get it. Go a little piece, a lemon, cut the cream.